Hello, welcome to the No Vertical Podcast with your hosts, Alex and Billy. Today on the podcast, we're going to get into Syracuse, keeping their tradition alive of being a potential bubble team for the tournament. <laughs> St. John's hitting a skid on, on... And Buffalo continue to dominate the MAC conference. So, Alex, Syracuse, they're keeping it interesting. Yeah, it's pretty usual, you know, they just love to keep breaking my heart and then build my confidence. It's just kind of a classic Syracuse run of games. They had that pretty horrible loss to Georgia Tech. They lost by 14 points. And then they come back the very like in 2 days later to beat the number 1 team in the nation in overtime. And then they cut their they kept it rolling a little bit today with that pretty uneventful game from uh, against Pitt, but I think the obvious major story from the weeks that we haven't recorded was the beating Duke at Cameron Indoor. You know, it's just completely unexpected. Nobody saw it coming. I was in shock when the game was as close as it was, as deep into the game as it was. Um, the For anybody that didn't watch the game, the first half was pretty pretty closely contested. Um, Syracuse played really well. Um, Elijah Hughes, again, one, was a big factor in the scoring department. Um, and Tyus Battle was, again, just a, showing his offensive prowess. But the major storyline in the first half was with – like two seconds left in the first half, Elijah Hughes throws up this prayer from 75 feet away and turns a four-point game going into the half into a one-point game, which is in history has typically been the opposite of how Syracuse games go. Syracuse always seems to let in a buzzer beater right before the half three-pointer. I could probably count on one hand the times this year that that hasn't been the final result of a first half. So to see it happen the opposite way was a little shocking. And clearly in the way that it happened was pretty impressive. That just absolute heave from three quarters court by Elijah Hughes. Um, well, that, that, that heave, you know, turned out to be pretty absolutely considering the game ended up absolutely. going to OT. And <clears throat> I think that when – he hit that shot that kind of gave them a little bit of like momentum. It got the crowd out of it a little bit. Obviously they would just went to halftime. So the momentum of a game doesn't really matter too, too much, but I do think that it gave uh, Syracuse a little confidence coming out of the locker room. Um, what do you think about how the second half unfolded? Did you, I know that you were keeping so, an eye so on So we it. talked yeah, so we talked a little bit about this game while it was even right. going on. Um, I, I I love the energy that Syracuse brought to the table. Now, obviously, you know, Duke didn't have Reddish. Jones got hurt in the first half. Um, but the energy that, that Cuse was able to play with, uh, I, I think, really speaks wonders to how dedicated that team is. Um, you know, typically, teams will wear down, especially with the amount of minutes that a lot of the starters for Syracuse sees um, as had is seen throughout the season. But that 
that just showed to, to be playing right into their hands. You know, you had a lot of guys on Duke's bench that were getting a ton of minutes in uh, uh, O'Connell and uh, uh, White right. that typically don't see a ton of minutes. And Syracuse was exploiting them. They were clearly tired. And I think this was a big, big game that Battle really asserted his dominance. Yeah, absolutely. He came through with that big 32-point game and um, got some help from a lot of different people. Pascal Chukwu played gigantic in this game. He had 18 rebounds, which is was one of the storylines going into the game was how Syracuse going to keep up with the rebounding of Duke. And I think that because he was able to be such a key component was not to be underestimated as one of the very, very big keys of the game. Um, I don't want to downplay the loss of Trey Jones and Cam Reddish in that game because anytime you play down, down with two of your key role players, um, that's going to play a – Big, that's going to have a big impact on how you play. But at the same time, you have probably what are going to be the number one and number two picks in this year's draft on your team starting and both played pretty well. So that being said, it's not like this team was shorthanded, shorthanded. They still are Duke. They're still – they still had four of their five starters. Cam Reddish – as I believe typically comes off the bench. So it's not to be said that this team was completely shorthanded and had no chance. You know, it's still Duke. Even with those two out, they probably still would have been the favorite to win. So I think that Syracuse showed a lot of grit in that game. Syracuse plays with a lot of grit typically just based on the style of play that they have. But, um, yeah, I was very impressed with that team, with the team, and it just goes to show that they have the ability to score. You know what I mean? They put up 95 points in this game. Yes, granted, there was an overtime period, but they put up a lot of points for this Syracuse team, and I'd like to see that more consistently, but it seems to me that that's more like they're trending upward in terms of their ability to score the ball, which is encouraging going further down the road. Yeah, I mean, really, I, like you mentioned, Chuku's play was, was unreal. I mean, that was the game of his career right there. Absolutely. Um, and then even just, just focusing in on, on the ability to score the ball, I mean, it's clearly there. Right. They have the offensive talent between uh, Hughes, between Battle, between Brissett. I mean, those guys can all find the hoop. It's just a matter of if they're all going to come to play together on the same night. And I think that's the, the inconsistency that Cuse has shown this year is, is causing their detriment and their, their, their position on the bubble right now. Um, you know, going forward, I think all those guys need to perform game in and game out through a tough ACC you know, this it's arguably the toughest, if not the second toughest, conference in basketball right now. And, you know, I mean, they just got to always perform the way that they've been doing. It's, I mean, you can't put all, all the, uh, all the, how can I say it, all the pressures on battles back to, right. you know, yeah. and, and you see it with, 
I'll, I'll make the analogy of St. John's. I mean, Pons can't do everything. Right. He's going to when times are tough, and, and that's typically when they're going to lose games. And, I mean, you saw it when, when – I'll get into it later, but when, Saint, when Pons was out for St. John's, you can't do that to battle like that, you know? Like, the rest of the team needs to step up, and, and they did. And if they can show that they can continue to do it uh, going forward, I think this Syracuse team will be another dark horse, Absolutely. especially – you know, if they're able to to take down another, say, either Duke or Virginia, you know, on their home court, look out. Right. Those those are the, those are the elite teams right there that Syracuse taking out. So yeah, this this ACC is probably one of the most stacked ACC um, conferences in terms of how many p- probable tournament teams are on it that I've seen since Syracuse has been in the ACC. And they're going to need to be able to score the ball. I mean, when they go up against Virginia, that's going to be another slow, defensive, slug-it-out kind of game. Um, Not to say that Virginia can't score the ball, because obviously they can score the ball. But the way Virginia plays and the way Syracuse plays are very similar in the fact that they want to slow the game down and make it more of a defensive-focused battle. Um, But that inconsistency was even seen in that Duke game with Elijah Hughes and Frank Howard. Frank Howard was nowhere to be seen in the first half in terms of scoring. I think he had like two points in the entire first half. Elijah Hughes was the exact opposite. He had like 16 or 18 points in the first half alone. And then the two of them completely switched roles. Elijah Hughes scored almost no points in the second half, and Frank Howard came alive, and I think he ended up having like 14 points. So all – Three of those guys, Hughes, Battle, and Howard, are consistently showing that they have the ability to score the ball. Howard a little less frequently this year, and I think people expected a lot more of him, especially since considering it's his senior year and all that. But that being said, they still all can score the ball. And then O'Shea Brissett's going to get his because he's got that freak athleticism and he's going to give you 10 points a game regardless. But I think that if Syracuse is able to continue to get points out of their role players, like Marek Dolajai and Barama Sidibe, who has a lot more offensive game than he's shown. Um, and then if Chukwu, I'm not saying he needs to average 16 to 18 rebounds a game, because that's not sustainable. But if he continues to be a consistent rebounder for this team, and they don't, allow as many offensive rebounds as they have in the past, they're going to be a tough team to beat. I agree. I agree completely. I mean, I, I also like the point where you brought up uh, Dolajai. I think Bayheim had a good game today right. against Pitt. So if, if you can get Bayheim hitting the, the occasional three, uh, making the defense come out and guard him a little bit and opening up easy looks down low to Brissette or Chukwu, or Sidibe even, I think, you know, that just makes them even more dangerous. So the the big thing for Syracuse is is definitely consistency. And I think like the role players are going to be key down down the stretch in this in this ACC play as well as potentially uh tournament time. Absolutely. And yeah, you mentioned Buddy Bayhan today. I did not think that I would say this season that Buddy Bayhan would be the second leading scorer on a Syracuse team. Um <laughs> It was a it was a nice surprise, 
He was able to hit four threes today. That was pretty much the only major headline from that whole game because Syracuse was in control for the majority of the game and nothing really major, no major storylines occurred. I mean, Tyus Battle had his own game, played well. Elijah Hughes kind of fell asleep throughout the game. But overall, yeah, Buddy Beheim, if he can start being the shooter that his dad and everybody around the team has hyped him up to be, not saying he's going to be the next Trevor Cooney or someone like that or Andy Routens, but I think that he'll give them the ability to stretch the floor a little bit, which has been lacking other than Elijah Hughes throughout the season for this Syracuse team, definitely. I agree. And, I mean, Pitt, Pitt is no snooze fest, though. Absolutely. You know, Pitt, Pitt, I compared Pitt and DePaul as very similar uh, parallels this mm-hmm. year. They're both teams that were supposed to be bottom feeders. Right. And I say that in the nicest way possible. Sure. Because they've, they've outlived all expectations this year. So it's never an easy game anymore in either conferences, the ACC or the Big East. So take that for what it's worth. You know, I mean, a, a win's a win, and especially to be in control of a win like that in the ACC, you're having a good day. Exactly. You know? <laughs> all right. Now switching gears over to the Big East. St. John's is breaking my heart. Yeah, they, how are they, you feeling over there? They, they dropped another one today. It, and you know what? I wasn't even that upset because the first half looked like looked so terrible that I anticipated the loss on this one. Yeah. So at halftime, I'm sitting there and I'm like, "All right, I know this is going to be a loss. Let me see if I can squeak out any good takeaways." Okay. And then what do they do in the second half? They started the second half on a 7-0 run, only to give up a 7-0 run. <laughs> So my head's in the game still, though. You know, the blood's flowing. The blood pressure is probably hitting critical levels. <laughs> and and St. John's just goes on a massive tear. Everyone gets involved. Mustafa Heron, he's finally playing up to the hype. And they end up, end up falling just short to Butler at Hinkle Fieldhouse, which, you know, not an easy place to play, but still – if they were going to stand out in the pack that is the Big East right now, because it is a pack, it's wide open, the conference, they didn't do it. You know, they had their opportunity on the road to get a big-time win to improve their net ranking, and they dropped the ball again. Now, I think a lot of that has to do with the lack of offensive scoring from the bench. I mean, the bench contributed, I think, four points Oof. in this one compared to 30-something. I don't, I don't even know what the final number for Butler was. So, I mean, you, you can't just ride the starters. I think you had um, – Shamori Pons didn't have a great game. Right. But he still chipped in, you know, double-digit points. Yeah, he, he turned the ball over. He had some bad fouls at certain points. But, you know, an average game for Pons, we'll say. Mm. Heron played great. Uh, Justin Simon definitely provided some sparks here and there. He was in double figures. You know, Clark had had a slightly off game. LJ Figueroa, foul trouble. That shouldn't, you know, you have three guys that are in double figures that started the game that gave you pretty solid minutes. That should be enough to win a game with mediocre bench play, you know. Right. Not being able to score off the bench is killing this team. And I think... That can be only attributed to the lack of a point, of a true point guard coming off the bench to relieve Pons. Right. Um, yeah. You lost. You lost Mikey Dixon, the weirdest transfer of all time. <laughs> um, 
he's going to Grand Canyon now. So good luck out in the desert. Yeah. Um, but that that hurts St. John's more than I think a lot of people realize because with Pons playing injured, he has the low back injury still nagging him. He's still not at 100%. Right. He missed the game against the Paul, which ended up being a loss. If he has a mediocre night, St. John's is not winning the game. Sure. And and the talent that's on that roster, it shouldn't be that way. So I don't know what has to happen that sparks the offense to come off the bench, but it, it needs to happen if this team's going to move forward and make a name for themselves in the Big East, let alone nationally, you know? Right, um, and and the, the shame there was that the trend was the exact opposite earlier in the season, and they did break themselves into the top 25, but it was so short-lived that, you know, people are just going to thumb their nose at them now and say, oh, how do we let them get into the top 25? They have shown the, the ability to lose to DePaul and the Villanova and then to a Butler team that all of eh, – not. I mean, Villanova's kind of underperformed this year, but the other two, you know, not standard – powerhouses to say but teams that a former top 25 team should have beat for sure yeah i mean to me i i feel like this has to it, it well first off the thing that i think hurts them is the fact that the freshmen didn't play in in the the gimme games to start the year True. i think if you look at what buffalo has done and there's a lot of parallels between st john's and buffalo um, that I'll get into a little bit later and how differently the programs uh, excelled mm-hmm. from their initial starting points. Um, but there's so many parallels there in terms of the utilization of the young guys. If you look at uh, Buffalo, there are two freshmen that consistently play, see about 10 minutes a game. If you're looking at St. John's, that number has got to be under five, easy under five, with the one freshman that they have that plays. And sure. there's two other that just ride pine. You know, it, the, the lack of depth on this team and the kind of like, you know, Mullen knows it and he's not going to do anything about it right. type attitude, it's not going to fly going forward. You know, guys are getting gassed. These guys, they're not hanging around like Syracuse is right now. Right, yeah. And they, um, uh, Syracuse is been known to have a short bench for a long time. Jim Beheim has consistently shown that he's not going to play more than seven seven guys in one, in a game. So I don't think that a lot of teams have the stamina that Syracuse has demonstrated in the past just based on history. But that being said, I mean, these guys are, should still be demonstrating the ability to stick up but yeah i agree with you that they need to find some help from the bench somewhere because they can't do it all without yeah, I mean, just the starting five i don't know how many minutes shimori ended up playing with tonight but i mean the guy's coming off a, a significant enough back injury to keep him sidelined sure for a game and he's still playing 30 probably four minutes tonight probably around 36 in the last game coming immediate game after a back injury somewhere in that realm, Mm -hmm. just spitballing it there. But I mean, that just shows you how, how they, they need Shimori to run that offense. There's literally no one on that team that can take control. Um, And that's not to downplay what Justin Simon's doing there. He's just not a point guard. Right. And 
to rely on him or to rely on Greg Williams, who barely saw time, he's a freshman, to bring the ball up and to run the offense. I mean, come on. Like, there's, there's clearly you could have, I don't know what the situation was with Dixon, but it cost St. John's. Mm-hmm. It's going to cost St. John's going forward. Um, you know, they're three and four in conference play right now with losses, like you mentioned, to Villanova. Uh, they lost to DePaul. They lost to Butler. I mean, the losses are stacking up already. Right. You know, you went, you started the season 12 and 0. So to be at where you are now with only to have games against Georgetown coming up at Creighton, which, you know, Creighton's having a down year, but still it's a hostile environment. They always show up and show out at home games at Duke coming up, which obviously isn't a conference game, but you still never want to go to Cameron and at Marquette, you know, they, they beat Marquette this year. But playing in Wisconsin is a completely different game Absolutely. than playing in Karnaseka. So And Marcus you know, Howard coming off another 50-point game. Exactly. So, you know, it, it it's going to be interesting to see what St. John's can do. And if they completely collapse, you know, that, that's got to be it for Mullen's tenure in, in Queens. Yeah, you think you know? so? I think that's it for him Oof. because I don't see how you can have this much talent and drop the ball. Yeah, and time and time again. I saw a lot of people were blaming some of the the not the most recent loss, but the loss before that on uh, Mullins a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it comes down to not well. One, you know, whatever went on with Mikey Dixon is clearly hurting the team. But also, like I mentioned previously, not utilizing freshmen. They have no minutes under their belt. They look raw. Like, they're not developed at all. They haven't seen any time. So how could they? Right. So, you know, it, and it's showing because Shimori's hurt. Um, other guys look gassed at times, and there's no one to come in for them. So that's that's my rant on St. John's right now. It's not it's not looking great in Queens. There's still a glimmer of hope, but they need a big turnaround. They need something to spark them. And I think Heron coming in and, and having a great game, hopefully we'll, we'll light some fire under their asses and, you know, Shamori will have a little help out there going forward. Right, so, yep. All right, shifting the focus up to the 716 and to the most dominant team it's looked like in New York. Oh, absolutely. And in really the Northeast in general, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in UB. Yep. Um, they're 5-0 and in conference play. Um. Uh, I think the biggest takeaway from, from conference play is that at any given time, any one of those guys can beat you. Mm. You know, McCray has stepped up when needed. Um, the freshmen, Sagu and, um, and uh, uh, Williams have stepped up mm-hmm. when needed. Um, you know, Perkins obviously is always – he's coming off the bench, you know, solely for foul trouble issues, but – the the guy is an absolute athletic freak. Yeah, he's got there. some. No one can match up with him. He's got some talent. And then you know that's not even talking about CJ and uh, what uh, Harris had been doing right. up there. And then you have the defensive freaks in Jordan and Carruthers. You know, I don't I don't see how you can even plan to go up against the Bulls right now if you're the opposing head coach. Yeah, you can't really scout for a team like Buffalo. 
they'll they'll beat you in transition. They'll beat you from the perimeter. They'll they'll set up half court sets. I I don't really know how do you defend them. To be honest with you, right. you just have to pray that that they're having an off night from three. Right. Um, but I mean, just looking forward, looking at their at their game against Western Michigan, um, you had McCray chip in eight. You had uh, Jeremy Harris chip in twenty two. Graves nine. C.J. Massenburg, 13, mm-hmm. you know, Perkins, 14, Carruthers, 11. This team will beat you top to bottom. Yeah, they're and, very consistent, and they have a lot of guys that can score. So, And that blue-collar mentality that, that Nate Oates has brought to the table, it, you know, the hard hat is winning them games. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I don't see them losing a game in the MAC. You know, the only way I see that happening is if there's – a Marcus Howard type situation, mm. and someone goes off mm-hmm. like absolutely off. Um, yeah, the it, what's your? Just, I mean, I don't, I can't, I don't even know what to say. No, looking anymore. forward, they're, they're I, exceeding all expectations. Yeah, looking forward, I see absolutely no one that can beat them. They have all in conference games left. They're playing Kent, Bowling Green, Central Michigan, Ohio, Akron. You know, none of these teams are nearly as talented as this Buffalo team is. And the only way they lose from here on out is if they don't show up in a game and they fall asleep or, like you said, someone scores 50. There's just no other way that one of these MAC teams beat them, barring a major injury. But even if they do have a major injury, they have such a next-time-up mentality and a deep team that it – not to say it won't matter, especially come tournament time, but as far as, like, conference play, it kind of won't affect them all that much. Not saying that I want that to happen at all because that would be horrible, obviously, but they would be able to recover from a major loss in a way that other teams would not be able to. I agree. Um, where do you have the Bulls if, they, if they're able to run the table in the MAC? Where do you have them finishing up the year in the AP poll? Do you think they're a potential to crack maybe the top six? I could. I don't see how you couldn't have a team that's only had one loss not in the top five. I think that that would be absolutely a travesty to – that would be almost like a Central Florida in the – in, in football. football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'd be the same thing because they're a non-Power 5 team and they're, like you said, blue-collar and not historically a very good basketball team. Um, and that would be the only reason that you would be able to keep them out. They've beat everybody they've come across. Syracuse, they beat Syracuse, who obviously just beat Duke. They beat a West Virginia team that just knocked off a top 25 team. And they beat a very good San Francisco team on a neutral court. Absolutely. Um, Their only loss. Southern Illinois. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their only loss came to a top 20 team currently with Marcus Howard scoring over 50 points. Like, yeah, uh, having the, like the game of his career right. because that that was almost all in the second half too. Uh, Right, exactly. I just don't see how you would be able to justify keeping a team with one loss that has beat everybody on their schedule aside from a freak loss out of the top five. 
I mean, there's definitely going to – and the MAC isn't even, like, a bottom-of-the-barrel conference this year. Absolutely, That's the thing. yeah. It's... Toledo is a good squad. Um, you have Kent State. There's a lot of talent on that team. Um, Akron will, it will always give you a fight. Mm-hmm. Ball State has shown that, you know, they've beaten Toledo this year. So, honestly, you know, the conference is strong. Right. And to be able to, to dominate like this – like, I actually – I looked at their last few games. They've beaten teams by 16 – 30, 24, 9, 12, you know, like, right. granted, the, the last game, you know, it was touch and go there for a little while in the, in the first half, at least. But, I mean, th- this team, there's no quit, you know. Right. They'll find ways to beat you anyway. Nate Oates is easily one of the best coaches in college basketball yeah, right I, now I to, don't, for what he's done. Honestly, if they run the table, Nate Oates has to be the coach of the year. I agree. I agree with that because no no team is turned around like they have. I mean, granted, they weren't a bad team last year. Right, yeah. But what he's been able to do in terms of taking a program that wasn't even a glimmer in anyone's eye, right. you know. Bobby Hurley brought it onto the scene for that for that one season there. But I mean, he he made Buffalo a household name basically in the matter of what? A couple seasons? Yeah. Yeah, when we started and at With U- no prior coaching experience. Right. Yeah, I mean, this guy was, what, a high school coach, an assistant? Yeah, under- he was a high school coach at Romulus High School. Right. And then he was assistant. Assistant under Bobby Hurley. So this yeah. guy is pulling a full-on Sean McVay and just coming out of, Basically. Coming out of the woodwork <laughs> and baffling everybody. I just, I don't see how you cannot respect this team and what they've been able to do, especially when you look at the top five teams right now, and all of them are, are showing significant vulnerability. Michigan lost today. Duke lost to Syracuse. Um, Tennessee was played really tough today. Obviously, Duke and Virginia are playing right now, and it's a tie game in the late stages of that game. So every one of these teams has shown vulnerability Granted, UB's not yeah. UB's not perfect, and they had that rough game against Western Michigan, and they didn't seem like the dominant team for the majority of that game like they have, but this team is stacked, and it's happened so quietly and so under the radar that they need to have a little bit of respect put on the, on the UB name. When we started there... Put some, put some respect on the on name. That's name. right. <laughs> when we first started there as students, they were horrible. I remember, I'm pretty sure they lost to Canisius when we were there. Or at least it was close. Yeah, it sounds about right. So, <laughs> I, I, the, the turnaround that this team has shown, it, even within the last five years, has been something pretty remarkable. Um, but the last two years alone, to not only get into the tournament for the first time in however long, I can't remember, but to win a game and now to be ranked in the top 20, that's pretty remarkable, if you ask me. And you want to, this is the comparison that I was talking about earlier. The way that UB has also built their program, mm-hmm. they've gained a lot of transfers. They went the JUCO route. Right which is the same way St. John's built their program right. up. And I think they started at a very even point a few years back, and the two teams have kind of 
one is crawled in St. John's and the other has a, just shot up like a rocket. Right. <laughs> and if you, if, and it's not like the talent has been, you know, exponentially different. Right. Yeah. Um, that shows you right there the difference in what a good head coach makes. Absolutely. And I think that leadership that he brings to, the, to UB is, is so important. And I hope the, that the athletic department realizes that and they don't let him go. Because if he if he walks, I'm nervous for the future of what. Buffalo yeah, I was gonna, that was going to be one of my questions for you. Do you think Nate Oates will stay if he gets a bigger offer from a Power Five team? So, from what I understand, and from what I've heard through the grapevine in in terms of UB athletics, mm. I it would have to be a, an insane offer at a ready to go program for him to walk because. He is such a dedicated person and such a dedicated Buffalonian, if you will, sure. now. He, he's anchored in Buffalo. He, he recently purchased a house. You know, his wife loves Buffalo. The kids love Buffalo. He loves to be in the area. Mm-hmm. So the only way I see this going is, is if things, relations just go south and another team is ready to go um, and, you know, someone's retiring. And and they're looking for him to take over a program that's that's already there. Um, I don't I don't see him leaving. To be honest with you, I mean a lot of people are going to say I'm crazy for this take, but he is he's got that mentality where if he starts something, I think he's the type of guy that's going to finish. And I think he is looking to be the next Mark Few. You know, mm, yeah, to, he's looking he's looking to build the next Gonzaga. Absolutely, trying now, to build whether, one of those teams that no one saw coming coming out of a exactly a smaller conference and like i and i'm not sure yeah, go ahead if that's going to be the case you know i it because buffalo as we've talked about it before could potentially you know look to jump out of the mac and into a bigger conference right. but regardless he's looking to i think build buffalo he's looking to build that brand and market as his own yeah i would agree with you i think that he seems like the type of person that once he dedicates himself to something, he's going to stick with it. And he is fully bought into this Buffalo team. You see it every single time they take the court, the, um, the emotion that he coaches with. And that really rubs off on his players. And you can tell, like he, he instills that grittiness and he instills that leadership into his team. And every single time that they play, they play through him. He is essentially the sixth player out there if you want to look at it like that. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree. And and that's not to downplay the crowds because from, from what I've heard, the crowds have been rocking right. at alumni Absolutely. as of late. And it's only going to get better once once the students go back. Yep. It's going to be tough to get into that place now. Yeah, you right. You know somebody. All right, so closing out with future projected scores, St. John's versus Georgetown at St. John's. Alex, what is, what's your take? Um, well, I'm hoping that, like what we talked about, St. John's will be able to get a little bit more from their bench than they've shown that they were getting in the past. So I'll say that they'll bounce back from the Butler loss, but it'll be a close one. Let's go 75-68 uh, St. John's. Yeah, um, you know, I'm, I, I was going back and forth with 
who who I think is even going to take this game because Georgetown gave them a great one for their money down in D.C. Um, this is going to be a close game regardless of who wins. Um, I just think Heron's he's locked in now. Mm. And to have two guys with that potential on the court at the same time in him and Pons, and hopefully Pons will recover a little bit more from the injury. I'm going St. John's 77, Georgetown 72. So, you know, don't fail me now, boys. Come on. <laughs> You've come this far. Um, looking up to uh, upstate New York, Syracuse, Miami. Who do you got? This is going to be a good game. Miami is a tough, tough squad. They they had a tough loss to uh, North Carolina this week. So I think that they're going to play with a lot of fire. And obviously, they always play Syracuse tough. Um uh, they're well coached. They have a lot of talent there, but I think Syracuse is going to continue to ride the success that they've shown so far this season. I think that they're going to keep up the scoring that they've shown. Um, they're not going to be putting up 80 points a game, but I'm going to go Syracuse over the Canes 75 to 65. Yeah, I got, I got Syracuse 72, 60. I don't think they're going to repeat that offensive performance just yet that they had down at Duke, but right. I do I do think that they're going to play a lot more cohesive and they're going to limit Miami's offensive opportunities. Um, and then looking forward to uh, some action <laughs> between Buffalo and Northern Illinois. I got UB 83, Northern Illinois 68. I think this is going to be, for the most part, kind of a runaway game uh, for the Bulls. You know, I think they're going to dominate start to finish. Um, at Northern Illinois. So, I mean, that's just my, my take here. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that they'll continue the dominance that they've shown so far. Um, and I'll give them uh, the win 85 to 65 over the NIU. All right, folks, there you have it. To quote uh, Bill Walton, the Nile River is flowing. Quack, quack. <laughs> All right, take care, guys. That, that's it for us today. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the rest of College Hoops.